Welcome to the Financial Key Podcast with Ashley Lee. I'm a millennial money coach, but you can think of me as your financially savvy Alexa. Each episode, we will uncover and discuss the keys you need on your road to financial independence. I will connect you to the answers to the questions you have and even the ones you didn't think to ask. Debt, side hustles, entrepreneurship, real estate, and investing are all topics we will discuss here. So let's jump right in because you do not want to miss the keys we're dropping in today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. It's Ashley here, and you are listening to part three of the Black Wealth series. If you're new here, let me quickly catch you up to speed. So in honor of Black History Month, the Financial Key Podcast is hosting a four-part series to highlight Black wealth, Black financial experts, and Black-owned businesses. So if you haven't already, make sure you go back and listen to part one and part two of the series. In today's episode, we are speaking with financial advisor and wealth manager, Patrick Chandler. Patrick is a graduate of the University of Maryland College Park. He currently works as a private wealth advisor for Morgan Stanley. As an advisor, Patrick manages assets for high net worth and ultra high net worth clients. His mission is to remove the complexities of financial management and assist individuals in putting the pieces to their financial picture together. Aside from being a wealth advisor, Patrick is also an active member in several different civic and religious organizations, where he enjoys sharing his knowledge about finances with the community. So without further ado, let's jump right into the episode. Hi, Patrick. Welcome, and thank you so much for joining me today on part three of the Black Wealth series on the Financial Key Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Ashley. I'm super excited. When I uh, when I got the email from you, I was elated. I told my wife that uh, I was looking forward to this a lot. It's an honor to be on your podcast. Thank you, thank you. I always love all of my guests um, that show that show up on the show, but the ones that I actually know in real life are extra special. So I'm just so thrilled to have you on. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so um, before we dive in, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Patrick Chandler. I am a financial advisor and I'm a financial coach. Um, I work for the number one investment firm in the world. I'm not going to say, maybe I'll say the name towards the end of the podcast, Um, Mm -hmm. but I work for the number one investment firm doing private wealth management. Um, So pretty much what I do is I help manage the wealth of millionaires um, and individuals who have complex uh, financial situations, business owners, people who work for corporations, um, individuals of all walks of life who've amassed a significant amount of wealth. Um, I am tasked with the plan of putting a financial plan together for them investing their money and then helping them strategize through just the different complexities, including taxes and um, estate planning and just everything through the process of, um, of investing for my clients. Um, I am a new dad, have a 10 month year old baby girl. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually have another one on the way. This is breaking news on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, everybody. You heard it here first. Maybe not first. Maybe like third or fifth or something. <laughs> okay, that works. <laughs> but um, uh, we have a, a kid coming, our second. Uh, we actually find out soon what the gender is. So we're excited wow. about that. 
Um, so yeah, I, I'm just a normal person. I'm 26 years old. I'm young to be in the industry, um, but I love the fact that I am young because it's given me the ability to bring a different perspective um, to an industry that is kind of seeing things the same way for a very long time. Um, so I'm passionate about helping people build wealth. Um, it's just something that from a young age has been something that's been instilled in me. Um, being the son of immigrants, it's just been something that's been um, at the forefront of my thought process. And as you know, time developed, I was able to you know work through those skills, learn more about investing, learn how to help people with their specific financial situations. Um, so I'm doing what I love. I haven't always <laughs> done what I love, um, but currently right now I'm in my dream job and my dream role. So I'm grateful. Wow, that's amazing. First and foremost, congratulations uh, to you and your wife. That's amazing. And you are juggling a lot over there for sure. I know. No, not much sleep over here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's just go ahead and just jump right into the meat of the episode. Um, So as you touched on, you are a financial advisor and a wealth manager. So can you just provide us with some strategies that we should all be implementing um, to start planting those seeds of wealth for our families and for generations to come? Sure. So I'm going to kind of start from the beginning um, and just kind of talk to that person who um, may not have any knowledge or background about building wealth or investing. Um, That was me (laughs) coming out of college. I didn't really know much about investing. Um, I knew just not enough to take on student loans that I shouldn't have taken on. Um, But I didn't know about building wealth. Fast forward to where I am now, I've had the privilege of learning more and being exposed to different aspects of uh, building wealth. Um, I would first say, before you look into strategies, and look into what do I invest in and how do I start that process, I would challenge you to sit down with a pen and a piece of paper and start writing out some goals for your life. And whether you're married, you're single, divorced, it doesn't really matter where you are in life. Um, I want you to write down specific financial goals of what you want to accomplish. That could sound like I want to purchase a home or I want my net worth to be 10 million by the age of 45 or I want to leave my kids a million dollars inheritance. It really doesn't matter what it is because that list is going to be built out and improved and edited as time goes on. But an effective investment strategy starts with a goal and it starts with a plan. Um, I require all my clients to do that. And what we do from there is then we reverse engineer the plan, right? I don't tell anybody to invest anything until they figure out what do you want to achieve out of life? At the end of the day, actually, everybody um, does not want the same thing for their finances. Some people just, hey, I want to retire with just enough amount of money. Um, Some people, hey, I I want to amass as much wealth as possible. I want to be able to have my kids' kids um, be able to... um, stand on my shoulders financially. So that's the first step. Figure out what your plan and what your goal is for your specific finances and what you want to build. Um, And then from there, that's where the strategy takes into play. So I'm going to kind of break it down into different sectors. The first sector that I'm going to talk about is the preparation that you need to have before you become an investor. And I think that's the part that a lot of people neglect. Um, We had GameStop that's going on right now, Uh, Express, uh, AMC theaters. There's so much hype and news about the stock market. Um, And I think it leaves out a major part of being a principled investor. And that's what I call my clients. They're principled investors. They invest based off of their principles. And you have to do some legwork before you even jump into that investment work. So what does that legwork look like? Actually, you talk about it all the time. First, you need to be on a budget. 
You need to make sure that um, your income and your expenses are listed and that you are meticulous every month about what your cash flow looks like. Why do I need to know what my cash flow is and why is that important? Um, because if you're investing in a brokerage account and you're not looking at 401ks or pre-tax contributions, you're contributing to a Roth IRA, a brokerage account, any after-tax investments, you're going to need to know how much money do I have at the end of the month that I can contribute to an investment account. You will not know that if you do not have a budget. One month you have $200 left over, next month you have $2,000. You just don't know why there's such a, a large fluctuation. And you won't be able to consistently invest and see the traction that you need. Um, so step one, you need to have a budget. Um, step two, you need to, and this is kind of rub some people's feathers the wrong way, um, you need to be debt-free for you to maximize your ability to be a great investor. Now, can you invest when you're still in debt and make money? Absolutely. I have clients who are currently in debt and they make a significant amount of money on investments, but it is not as effective as if you were completely debt free. Mm -hmm. And the answer, why, why is that? Because now you have more buying power that you can put behind your investments, right? $10,000 in an investment account growing at 10% does not have the same growth potential as a $100,000 account growing at 10%. Why? Because the principal in the $100,000 account is larger. So you're going to see more gains in that type of account. Um, so I would say first needs to be budgeting. And then after that, um, you need to, to make sure um, that you can figure out how much money you're able to put towards that specific approach. And then from there, it, there's kind of a divergence. Um, so I'm going to first talk about what a lot of people underutilize. And that's their pre-tax investment contributions that they can make. Mm -hmm. So people listening on this podcast, most likely you're working somewhere or maybe you're an entrepreneur and you work for yourself. Um, the first place that you should start with your investment journey is in your employee retirement accounts or if you work for yourself in your own self-directed um, self-employment retirement accounts. So what are those? Right. We're just going to kind of run through those quickly. Um, if you work for an organization, um, you will most likely have a 401k. If you work for a nonprofit organization, um, you'll have a 403B. And then if you work for a government agency, you'll have a 457. Don't worry about the numbers. That's just how the IRS codes the specific accounts. But that's your first step in your wealth building journey. Don't go on um, some broker. I'm not going to use names on the podcast because they're, <laughs> they're, they're not paying us. If they paid us, we would use uh, exactly. uh, their name. Uh, but don't start there. Don't go buy Apple, Amazon blindly. Start in your employee retirement account. Why would you start there? One, you can contribute to that account with pre-tax dollars, right? So before Uncle Sam goes in and takes a chunk out of your paycheck, you're able to deviate money into that um, retirement account so that it can grow for you. Also, a lot of companies will match your contributions. Um, a lot of organizations will say, hey, if you put 5%, we'll put 3% um, into your retirement. And what do we call that? We call that free money. Um, mm -hmm. So you need to be in a position to never, ever give away free money. Um, so that's kind of where the focus needs to be. Your goal, this is the first goal you need to be focusing on, is maxing out your employee retirement plan every year. So that magic number is 19,500. Mm -hmm. I want to start a hashtag on Instagram and call it hashtag race to 19.5 because mm -hmm. that is the magic number. If I could show you the projections of just a modest 10% return over a 30 year period, 
on an individual who maxed out their retirement account. We're talking about millions upon millions of dollars that you'd have at the age of 65. Right. right. Now, and these aren't people with like incomes that are six figures, correct? No, these are people, I've seen it with incomes as low as $50,000, $45,000. Individuals who are consistently contributing to the retirement account are retiring with millions of dollars in their retirement fund. Um, so that's the first step. Um, if you work for yourself, you have options as well. In fact, the government is actually more favorable to you than they are to people who work for someone else. So you have a simple IRA, you have SEP IRAs, profit sharing plans, many other options that have higher contribution limits than your regular 401k or 403b that you can be taking advantage of as well. Um, I'm talking to the business owners really quickly. Um, I talk to a lot of you guys and a lot of the conversation is surrounding around the fact that you aren't really preparing for retirement. You make a lot of money, but you have a successful business. You are not, um, you are not out of the woods, right? Don't think that people work for someone else. They're the only ones who need to contribute to the retirement. You do as well, because one day you're going to look up, you're going to wake up in the morning and you may say, Hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Or I want to slow down. I want to have less involvement in my business. If you're not preparing for that time, unfortunately, guess what you're going to be doing? Working into your 70s, 80s, and being in a position where, unfortunately, a lot of Americans are, where they have to work because they have to, not because they want to. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the first step. Before you look at your brokerage accounts and getting into complex investment strategies, really fight and strive to max out your retirement accounts. That's going to be a main foundation um, for your wealth building strategy. Um, anything that you want to add, Ashley, I can keep going, but I want to make sure that I'm, uh, that I'm hitting the points for you. No, no, I- no, that's perfect. Um, so I know that you mentioned 19.5. Does that number change if you are married? So that number does not change, um, but each spouse would be able to contribute $19,500 um, per account. Let's say um, one spouse you know, works in a hospital, the other spouse is a teacher. Um, you guys would be able to do $19,500 separately in your individual retirement accounts. Um, but that number does not change if you're married. You're not allowed to, um, just because you're married, contribute more or contribute less. That's the number that is stagnant for each individual. Now, at at the age of 50, um, they do allow you to contribute a little bit more into your retirement account. They kind of see it as a catch up um, for you. So you're able to put a few extra thousand dollars into your account at the age of 50 um, to be able to kind of spur that process on. Um, Usually for individuals who may have waited a little bit longer, they know that you're going to need a little bit more principle behind that. Okay, perfect, perfect. Yeah. So then once you get that taken care of, you're maxing out your retirement account. um, You need to then look into the personal investing side of it. Right. So that includes uh, maybe a Roth IRA, um, a brokerage account and just looking into now, I guess I call this like the fun part of investing. This is when you're able to kind of stretch your wings out a little bit and really aggressively build your wealth. Um, you can sleep really well at night when you know that you're maxing out your retirement account. Um, you can sleep on silk sheets and really build wealth <laughs> extremely quickly when you're coupling that with your own investment strategies outside of your employer. Um, so I kind of want to talk through this space, the brokerage world, the investing world. Um, first, I'll say it is the wild west. Some of the things that I see, um, I had a friend come up to me 
and, and say that he started his investing journey off of TikTok. He heard some information on TikTok and he started mm-hmm. investing. Um, he made some money and then you guys can probably guess the rest. He lost a lot of money from mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. So what I would say when you've maxed out your retirement account and you're looking to start um, individual investing, first, you need to do your own research. Before you reach out to a financial advisor, um, before you take um, stock tips from whatever, you know, MailChimp may be sending you or Instagram or TikTok, you need to do your own research about the stock market, the economy and investing in general. It is so sad to see people take their hard earned money and invest it in something that they have no idea about. Mm -hmm. If you broke your arm, Ashley, I would assume (laughs) you would not go into the doctor's office and say, hey, doc, I got this. I'm going to put the splint on myself. Um, Never been to medical school, but I'm going to do this one on my own. Right. Or, Or if you have a wisdom tooth that needs to be pulled, you just, you know, pull it yourself. In no other realm do we handle complex life altering situations on our own without doing proper research. Um, But for some reason, stock market makes us feel like lack of research and we can still make money from it. Mm -hmm. So what does research look like for the average person who's looking to get into investing? um, That means I want you at least once a week to be looking in on what's happening to the stock market. I suggest a good place to go is Bloomberg. Um, I watch Bloomberg as a financial advisor every single day. Now, here's what's going to happen. When you turn on Bloomberg in the morning, they're going to talk about a lot of things that you have no idea what they're saying. And you're going to say, Patrick, this is the worst advice ever. They're speaking a different language. That is okay. Just listen to me. For six months straight, just turn it on once or twice a week. And what you'll find is that your knowledge of investing in the economy and what's happening in the macro perspective is going to grow at a significant pace. You need to surround yourself and start inundating yourself in these type of conversations um, for you to actually start understanding what's happening. Um, So that's step one. You need to make sure that you're doing your research. Um, Two, you need to make sure that you're investing when the time comes with money that you do not need for an emergency that you do not need to live off of. I'm going to harp on this. People come to me and say, Patrick, I got $20,000 that I want to invest. What should I invest in it? The first thing that I ask them is what does this money mean to you? And they kind of cock their head a little bit to the side and say like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I said, if you gave me that $20,000 and I put it at the center of this table and I lit a match and I burned the money. Um, what, what kind of ramifications would that have? Is that your emergency fund that I'm burning? Am I burning someone's tuition? Am I burning you know, a mortgage payment that you need to, to make? That means that this money does not need to be invested. I don't care what strategy you implement in your investment um, portfolio. There's always an opportunity that you can lose money. We always look at the positive side of it, like, oh, I'm definitely going to make money. Well, there's a chance that you actually can lose money as well. Um, so you have to make sure first that the money that you're going to deploy in your investment strategy is money that you're willing to lose. Of course, we don't want to lose it. And with a good advisor and a good strategy, you will make money pretty consistently. Um, but you want to make sure first that that's money that you don't need to lose. The second thing um, that you need to focus on is you need to figure out what type of investor you are. And when people say, like, what do you mean, what type of investor? Here are a few things that you should be asking yourself. How emotional am I? 
Mm -hmm. I have some clients who every morning they wake up, they check their phone application to see if they've made money or if they've lost money. Unfortunately, some people are emotional. So if they've lost money, that dictates how their day is coming. And the opposite is true. If they make money, that dictates how their day is going too, right? They're kind of controlled by the performance of their portfolio. You need to know and have your emotions under control. Are you someone who makes decisions very quickly? Because if you are, a crash like 2000, a crash that we experienced in 2009, the crash that we experienced in the beginning of the uh, 2020 during COVID, you would have been one of those individuals who probably sold your portfolio long before you should have and took significant realized losses because you were emotional. So that's the type of work that you need to do. Where are you emotionally? What are your triggers? And what are some things that you can do to bring around you to kind of help um, bolster your emotionality? And what are some things that you can do to make sure that you're um, emotionally strong? One, once you do your research with knowledge um, comes power. Two, get yourself around people who are like-minded, right? If you're in a group of friends who are all investing and thriving and doing well, the market crashes and none of your friends are selling, you probably should ask them why they're not selling. And they'll tell you, hey, the market has always come back. And then lastly, you need to get a professional in your corner who knows what they are talking about. Mm -hmm. And this is my profession. You need to get a financial advisor to help you through the process of investing. There's people out there who are very successful at trading and investing on their own. And to those people, I clap. I say kudos. That's phenomenal. Um, that is the minority. That is not the majority of people. Right. My job is to make sure that whatever you're successful at, if you're a business owner or you're um, a tech startup, you create applications, whatever it is. My job is to free you up. Um, so that you don't have to worry about your investments, that you don't have to worry about, oh, man, uh, should I have sold or should I have bought? You have someone who's a trusted professional in your corner who knows your goals, who knows what you're focused on to help make recommendations for you. Um, so you need to make sure that you have trusted people in your corner. The stakes are too high. So, Ashley, we know that you know, you're balling and you're doing really, really well. Um, the stakes are extremely, extremely high. Right. When you make a bad trade on a hundred dollar investment, that's one thing. But when you're talking of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even million dollar implications, um, and that's where we all want to be when we're building our portfolios, that's not something that you would want to do alone. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll, I'll let you I'll let you drop in there. I can I can go on for days. <laughs> yeah. So just to reiterate, I just want to make sure that it's clear about what you just said, like doing your research. I feel like a lot of times, especially with different apps, people take on the like do it yourself approach. But I just want to reiterate the importance of doing that research prior to meeting with the financial advisor. Absolutely. Because what happens is if you go and sit with a financial advisor with no prior research, you actually have no idea what they're telling you. And I, I think this space of investing, we've seen some predatory, uh, predatory practices, um, but you have to have a working knowledge of what the person is telling you. Not saying you have to be the next Warren Buffett or the next stock picker, but if your advisor is telling you, hey, I, I would like to put you in a mutual fund position, um, you need to know what a mutual fund is. When your advisor asks you, you know, do you want to have an aggressive approach to your portfolio? Or do you want to be more conservative? You need to know what that means. Now, the advisor who you work with they need to have the heart of a teacher. I'll tell you this. If your advisor sits down with you and they make you feel dumb 
or they look at you sideways when you don't know a financial term, pick up your bag, your checkbook, and walk out of that office. Mm-hmm. Whoever the advisor that you work with is, they need to have the heart of a teacher. Even if you don't know anything about finances, they need to be willing to help you along the process. But you do need to do your legwork. You need to come in with some prior knowledge, even if it's just, I know what my goals are, I know how much money I want to earn, and uh, I know how much I want to pay in a fee. Just bare minimum of that is going to put you in a better position than someone who comes in who knows nothing because now you open yourself up to be uh, in a position where someone can easily take advantage of you. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to that person who wants to get into investing, um, is trying to do some research on their own, but still feel very scared um, about really going like full in? What would you say to that person? To that person, I would say um, start small. Start very, very small. Start with, I'm I'm not going to throw a number out there, but start with $50. Take $50 and put it into a position um, that you've done research on and see how it performs. It's important to, to invest in a safe environment. Investing with $50, investing with $30, investing with $100, or whatever is proportional to your wealth. You could be on this call and you could be worth $10 million. What's safe for you is maybe not the same thing that's safe for someone whose net worth isn't as much. But if you are scared, get professionals around you, work with an advisor. If you want to do it on your own, start small and then learn from the mistakes that you're going to make. I will tell you, you will make mistakes. I'm a financial advisor. I do this for a living. And guess what? There's still things that I get wrong. Some of you may be like, Patrick, how could you say that? The stock market is unpredictable. I promise you the hedge funds that lost billions of dollars by uh, these people on Reddit didn't think in a million years they would be filing for bankruptcy because the you know middle class individual outsmarted them, right? That's mm-hmm. the nature of the stock market. So I would say start small. Don't be afraid to fail. And what's important that you need to keep in mind is you need to learn how to monitor your performance. Some people will purchase a stock and they will just leave it. (laughs) They won't look at it again. They hope that magically in two years, I'll look up and I would have made money on that investment. Mm -hmm. Well, did your research tell you that? Is it a short-term position? Is it a long-term position? Is this even a position that you should have bought to start with? So you have to be monitoring how you're performing. Am I making money? What's the news surrounding the company? Is the company getting ready to get bought out by another company? Does it have bad management? Um, is a product that they're selling, you know, causing uh, anger within the market. You have to kind of check in on how things are going along the way and not just have a set it and forget it mentality. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing, hearing you say, is like, you can't be on two, on the two opposite ends of the extreme. You can't, it's not healthy to check it all day, every day, but you also don't want to just pick it up and then leave it alone and never touch it again. 100%. I I have people who check it every day, calling me every day. That is not healthy, actually. (laughs) That is not healthy because, like I said, you're going to be emotionally driven by how the stock market performs. And then I also have people who are more of a set it and forget it mentality. And that's not also healthy because you miss a lot of the nuances along the way. And you, you could have a position um, I have some people who don't like to be bothered, don't like a lot of contact. And, you know, I invest their money for them. They're very profitable. They make a lot of money. We connect once a year. Um, but I find with those people, 
Um, they're not really learning more about investing. It's harder to build a relationship with them. And if they ever wanted to branch off and, you know, kind of look into other realms of investing, it may not be as successful because not every investing strategy is to set it and forget it and just watch it grow. Mm -hmm. So the, the sweet spot is somewhere in the middle, right? You need to make sure you have a healthy balance, make sure that you have a healthy perspective of how your portfolio is growing, um, have a healthy perspective of your performance. I'll, I'll just touch on this quickly. Guys, please, please, please understand this. The stock market is not up and to the right all the time, yeah. right? So there will be pretty much no year where you will have constant gains every single day. One day you're going to wake up and the market is red. One day you're going to wake up and you would have had a loss the night before. But what we're looking for is we're looking over the average time. What is the average return that we can derive from our portfolios? It's less about what I can make on a day-to-day, -day, and it's more about over a three, four, five, six, 10, 15-year period, what were the returns and the averages that I was able to achieve? Now, that is not the same for if you want to um, take profit or you want to sell and buy stocks in a smaller time frame, but I'm talking about wealth-building strategies. Most likely, if you're buying and selling stocks in a short time frame, that's not going to be the main driver for you building your wealth. Excellent. That's so, that's so good. That's really good information, Patrick. So before we wrap up, can you also just touch on custodial accounts for those who aren't familiar with those? For sure. So that kind of gets into the realm of um, looking to see how you can, if you're a parent out there, start creating a life and opportunities financially for your kids. Um, so in the custodial world, I think I'll kind of branch off in this specific area. Um, and we'll get back to custodians and just kind of, you know, sparked in my mind. A lot of you out there, and I'm speaking to the parents now, and even those who want to be parents or people um, who want to support a family member, we need to make sure that we're maximizing 529 accounts. I'm just going to speak on it super quickly. Um, and I know there's a lot of myths that are going out about 529 accounts, um, but we have to make sure uh, that we are educated about the 529 in our specific state. We need to learn about the tax benefits that are present. And then we also need to learn about how that works within our complete financial plan. For those who may not know, a 529 plan is an investment engine that you can use to be able to save money for your kids' college or family members um, or someone that you would like to help support um, through their educational time. It's a great opportunity um, to put some investment and compound interest behind your college saving efforts for whoever it may be. Um, instead of just putting money away into a savings account and hoping it equates to $250,000 for college, now you can put that money into an investment account. And then when your kid is ready to go to college, you're able to pull that money out for educational expenses. There's a lot of myths that are going around about 529s and does it lower a child's opportunity to get scholarships? Well, here's the thing. It will lower your opportunity to get need-based scholarships. If your parents have put away $300,000 for your college, you probably shouldn't be asking for need-based money. Mm -hmm. But the merit side of it, it does not change it at all. So you can get a full ride to college and still have money in your 529. That account can be rolled over to get a master's, MBA, PhD, or if you want to pull that money out, you can pull it out for a non-educational expense at a small penalty. So either way, you win on both sides of the spectrum. 
But going back to your initial question and talking about custodial accounts, I highly recommend them. Um, essentially, with custodial accounts, there are opportunities. Um, usually, parents are the ones who are maximizing them, but anybody can use them. Grandparents, cousins, friends. Um, you have the ability to open up an account, usually for a minor, um, with the idea of it being turned over to them at a specific time period. Um, each state handles it a little bit differently. Here in Maryland, um, a lot of the custodial accounts are turned over to the minor at the age of 21. Um, so you're able to put money into that account, invest it as if it's a brokerage account. Um, and at the age of 21, it can be turned over to the minor. And it's a great opportunity for things such as buying homes. Um, if the child has student loan debt, um, if the kid wants to start a business or you have wedding, you know, those large expenses that we talk about, Ashley, that um, that really hinder us from building wealth. A custodial account is a best, best way to really make that happen outside of the educational expenses. Right. If you don't want your money to be penalized for non-educational expenses, a custodial account is a great opportunity to do that. Um, the last thing I'll say about that is. If you're going to open up a custodial account for your child, um, for a niece, a nephew, um, I want you to implement what we call systematic investing. Pick a number every month that you want to put into that account and stick to that number. I don't even suggest if you have the money, yes, you can put a large lump sum in. But by systematically every month, regardless of where the stock market is, Put money to that account and invest it. That's what we also call dollar cost averaging, right? It doesn't matter where the market is. We're just going to buy in consistently. You'll find by the time that kid turns 18, 20, 25, who have hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars in that account, even from a modest, consistent um, investment into that account. So my suggestion is slow and steady wins the race. Slow and steady wins the race in investing um, and especially with the tortoise and the hare as well. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. And actually, it's so funny that you mentioned that because that's the same approach that my mom and I are taking. We opened up a 529 for my nephew. Um, and that's the same approach that we're taking, um, which is depositing. It's just a direct deposit that goes into his account every month. And then like for his birthday and Christmas, especially now since he's young, he's only 14 months. Instead of buying him toys that he'll tear up and he'll rather like play with the paper, we're depositing money into his account. That's so awesome. College is raising at a 6% interest rate every year. Mm -hmm. um, by the time kids go to college now, we're going to be looking at two hundred fifty dollars to $300,000 to go to a public in-state universe. Wow. If there are not funds. <laughs> wow. if, if there, it's, it's crazy. If there are funds that are not allocated and the kid does not get a full ride, which is not guaranteed, it's very hard to get a full ride educationally, um, that's potentially $300,000 worth of loans that that kid is going to have to pay back. Now, keep in mind, the kid's not going to get cleared for $300,000. So now you as a parent, you're forced to take out parent plus loans. And now it is a disastrous situation. Contribute mm -hmm. to your kid's college. Make it a priority um, because it's something that in 18 years, it could become something that is bigger and more of a disastrous thing to your wealth building process. Mm -hmm. And then even... Sorry, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say that even for like parents, say you have a 10 year old or a 12 year old, it's still just as important um, with the time that you have left before they head off to college to still try to deposit some money as well. Right. Absolutely. So a lot of people say, Patrick, my kid's 15, my kid's well, 14. Is it even worth it? Well, you may not be able to contribute the entire amount to send them to college for free, 
But I don't know about you, Ashley. When I went to college, books were expensive. Housing yes. <laughs> <I> was <laughs> expensive. <laughs> There's creative ways to be able to um, help your kid find scholarships and to be able to mitigate some of the costs. But don't ever say it's too late. Mm-hmm. The moment, it is actually too late when you give up. It's actually too late when you don't take the necessary steps ever um, to be able to help in that college process. But 14, 15, 16, it's definitely an opportunity um, for you to make some traction. And I will say, let's say, for example, um, uh, a couple has a child. And when they first had the kid, they weren't at their prime earning years. But let's say later down the road, um, they're able to kind of afford more into that 529 account. That's a great opportunity to put a little bit more money into that account um, in the later years because now you're making more money, right? Mm-hmm. So you definitely want to keep that in mind um, that even if you're starting late, they give you um, more leeway in contributions to um, a 529 account at whatever point you start. So let's say you wait until the kid is 14 years old, but you have a lot of money. Each spouse for that specific kid can contribute $75,000 into that 529. Wow. So in so in one year you can contribute one hundred fifty thousand dollars between both parents for that mm-hmm. kid. One hundred fifty thousand dollars growing for the last three years. Guess what? We may actually be able to make it to the number that we hit that mark. One hundred percent. So if you weren't able to do it systematically and life happened, you still have opportunities. So you hit the nail on the head. It is never too late. Excellent, excellent. So do you have one more point to leave with us? Oh, yes. So recently uh, what the IRS did with 529 accounts is now that it's, you're able to use that for uh, private school as well, K through 12, which is a, uh, an important thing to note because a lot of private schools are, are you know, college tuitions now at this point. Um, mm-hmm. So I recommend 529s. Um, I recommend taking your wealth planning and your financial planning seriously. Um, it's about time. And it's about being diligent over time. Um, So if you're on the fence, you you think you can do it on your own, or you just have no idea really where to start, I I would say definitely connect. um, Connect with a professional. Get some help. Start your process. And you'll be surprised. Look up in five, 10 years, and you would have built more wealth than you ever could have imagined because you had a plan. Mm -hmm. So true. I know one thing my mom always says, like, the time is going to pass anyway, so you might as well you know, utilize that time to the best of your advantage to put yourself wow. and your family in a good situation. I like, I like your mom already. I've never met her. But she's, <laughs> <not the lady. laughs> she's a smart lady. So before I let you go, can you just provide us some insights? I know you touched on it at the beginning um, of the episode that you manage accounts for millionaires. Can you give us some insights into their investing habits and characteristics of them that we can implement as well? Yes. So, um, my wealthiest clients, what I, I found, and I'm very statistical based, so I pay attention to what they do um, and what I do for them. Because guess what? As an advisor, I implement the very same strategies um, that I implement for them. I implement for me and my family in our wealth building process. Mm-hmm. But what I've noticed is that they always pay themselves first. And a lot of my wealthy clients, they have you know significant income that's coming in. And I'm able to see how they spend their money, where they spend their money, what their priorities are. And it's not what you think it would be, right? It's not the high-end purchases. It's not, you know, the crazy real estate. It is systematic investing into their brokerage accounts, into their retirement accounts, into their trust funds, into things that are going to have lasting impacts for them and the generations to come. 
Um, so the first thing that I would say that I've seen from the clients that I manage and I work with is that they pay themselves first. So whatever that means for you, um, I'm a believer. So your first step should be to tithe. And then after that, you need to make sure that you're focusing on paying yourself in your investment accounts and allowing those things to grow. Um, the second thing that I've noticed is they've done a phenomenal job of maintaining their expenses, even as their income has skyrocketed. Mm. So I heard you on one of your episodes, you talked about lifestyle creep. I was literally jumping up and down in my chair um, because <laughs> that is the key to wealth building. Mm-hmm. I have millionaire clients who live as if they make 150000 They live as if they make 100000 mm-hmm. um, And they've done that year over year over year. And what that compound effect has allowed them to do is to front load and put significant amounts of money um, into their investment account. So don't, don't get me wrong. I see some great purchases. They have a lot of fun, but it's strategic. And they're not mm-hmm. doing it all the time. Um, so I would say they have a great balance. And they know when it's work time. And they know when it's play time. Um, another thing that I see, and this is for the parents out there, if you have kids, my most successful clients include their kids on their wealth building strategy. Mm. Meaning when I sit down with them for a quarterly meeting, I've had five-year-olds five year in a meeting, 10-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 20-year-olds, because what's most important to them is not just building wealth, but the transfer of wealth and that that process is smooth. Imagine if you've amassed a significant wealth, but you haven't taught your kids how to manage that. Mm-hmm. Or what you and your spouse or what you built over your entire lifetime can literally go in the snap of a finger. So wherever you are in our lives right now, it could be at the most rudimentary level. Teach your kids about savings. Teach your kids about being generous and giving. Teach them about budgeting. Teach them why mom and dad pay a little extra on the mortgage, teach them why mom and dad put towards their retirement. And what is the purpose of even building wealth, right? Those are the things that I see um, my wealthiest clients do. And then the last thing I would say, Ashley, is they are insatiable learners. Mm, They will come come to me. Patrick, what do you think about this option strategy? Patrick, what do you think about this complex hedge fund strategy? Is it good for me? Is it not good for me? It's to the point where I have to, and they challenge me, I have to be on the cutting edge of everything in the finance world um, because they're going to throw so many things at me because guess what? They're always looking for an edge. They're always looking for an opportunity to be able to build their wealth in a new strategy and in a new way. So what does that mean for you? Be a learner. Be a learner. Pick up a book. Read it. Listen to listen to a podcast like this one that you're doing as well. Um, be in a position to to always learn. And the last thing I'll say is my wealthiest clients force themselves in settings and rooms where they are the least intelligent, least wealthy, least influential person in the room. Mm-hmm. I'll speak to my clients and say, hey, what were you doing this weekend? Oh, I was just hanging out with someone who's a hundred times wealthier than me. I'm just like, wait, why would you do that? That's gotta be, a, you know, that's gotta be hard on your ego. But what they, <laughs> what they realized is I have to challenge myself and I have to get around people who've done more than me mm-hmm. because a byproduct of that type of relationship is going to be, I'm going to start learning what they've done. I'm going to start being able to implement some of the strategy and it's going to take me to the next level. Um, so those are the things that I see my wealthiest clients doing. And then 
the final, final thing, I feel like a pastor, you know, when pastors say they're, they're closing their message. So <laughs> it's like another 10 minutes after. <laughs> um, but they are hard workers. If you're listening to this podcast, you will never build wealth that is sustainable. That's the key without hard work. Even if you are in line for a significant inheritance, you will not be able to maintain it unless you work hard. Mm-hmm. Hard work is going to be the key um, towards building wealth, creating generational wealth, um, and doing it in a sustainable way. Um, so, yeah, that's the keys that I've seen from my wealthiest clients, and it works. It's tried and true. Wow. Well, you dropped the mic on that one. I don't have anything to add other than I need to write those down. Um, Patrick, thank you so much uh, just for your time and your knowledge and just speaking um, to my audience about this because it's just so important. We hear the term, and I've said this in a previous episode, we hear the term generational wealth being thrown a lot around on Instagram, um, but it's just it's really so much more that goes into it than what we see online. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's my pleasure um, to connect with everyone here. And Ashley, what you're doing is phenomenal. It's my favorite podcast to listen to. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that. So before I let you go, um, can you just let everyone know where they can follow you online? I know we didn't get to touch on it, but you are also a financial coach. Um, So if they want to partner with you in that way, how can they find you? Absolutely. So my main place that you can find me is you can go to my Instagram. It's Patrick R. Chandler. That's the full word, Patrick, just the letter R in Chandler. You go to my Instagram. I have a lot of content there um, as well. And you'll be able to find a form that you can contact me there. Um, and we can figure out what the best fit is for you. Um, are you in a position where you need to um, start investing, where you have complex investing strategies that you need assistance with? Um, or are you in a position where you need a coach? Um, Ashley mentioned um, that I do financial coaching as well. Um, that puts you in a position um, to have someone who's walking alongside of you every step of the way and helping you with every different financial conversation or financial barrier that you may experience. Um, Michael Jordan, who some people say are, is the best basketball player of all time. I don't agree. I think it's uh, LeBron James, but that's a, different, <laughs> that's a different podcast for a different day. Uh, he had Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson was his coach. He submitted to Phil Jackson. He didn't have to, right? Did Phil Jackson know how to shoot a basketball or lay the ball up? No, but he had this strategy. And that's the need for financial coaching. You may have a decision that's coming up. You may need help with budgeting. Patrick, what is a budget? You talked about a budgeting is the pillar of wealth building. I don't even know how to put a budget together. I don't know how to say. I'm deeply in debt. I can't even see the roof from the ceiling. Patrick, what, what kind of insurance policies do I need? What, where do I even start? And that's where having a coach comes in handy to someone say, hey, Take this left turn, not this right turn. Hey, speed up. Hey, slow down. Put your seat buckle on. It's going to get a little bit bumpy in this part of your financial journey. Um, so you can reach me uh, on my Instagram. There's a consultation form there um, that you can fill out for a free consultation for us to figure out what's the best strategy and the best way for us to connect. Um, I would love to work with any and everyone who's in a position and ready to build their finances. All right. Perfect. So I'll make sure to link all of his information below in the episode description. You guys, he is the real deal. I'm sure you can already tell that um, just through all the knowledge that he gave us. So make sure um, you contact him. And Patrick, thank you again. Um, I have to have you back because I I just love speaking with you. So thank you again for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm not one and done. I'm excited about that. Yes, yes. (laughs) You'll definitely be a repeat guest. (laughs) 
Today's Black woman-owned business spotlight is Ruthie Tesfaye, owner of Studio Tesfaye. Ruthie states that traditionally, you have to sacrifice style for substance when it comes to earrings. She wanted to change that. At Studio Tesfaye, Ruthie designed a line of statement earrings that are as stylish as they are elegant, bold as they are beautiful. These ultra lightweight pieces are made to be worn all day long making it easy to go from the office to a cocktail party, creating shapes that are not only unique, but also versatile. These works of art are designed for your everyday life. Ruthie describes being a black woman entrepreneur as liberating and tremendously empowering, both personally and financially. Running her business gives her the freedom and space to be herself. She is able to honor her uniqueness and embrace it in everything that she does. Ruthie also feels empowered that her business allows her to take control of her financial future and the financial future of her family. Financial Key listeners, here are two ways that you can support this Black woman-owned small business. First, you can shop at www.studiotestfate.com. And while they are always thankful for direct purchases, the Studio Testway team recognizes that we are facing multiple pandemics and that not everyone is able to support financially at this time. You can show your support by following Studio Testway on Instagram and TikTok and also sharing and engaging with their content. Thin Key fam, please join me in saluting this phenomenal woman. And don't forget to meet me right back here next week for the final part of the Black Wealth series. Stay blessed, everyone. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode, but there's one more key I want to leave with you before you go. Did you know that this podcast is a success because of you? Yes, you. When you engage and share an episode, it helps others just like you find this podcast. So if you haven't already, please subscribe. And if you have an extra minute, I would love it if you could leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you soon. Same time, same place.